Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by special guest, Akiva Cohen. Well, uh, like I said, we're honored to have Akiva Cohen with us this morning. We've, we've been supporting him as a ministry in Israel for about seven years. Uh, gave a fantastic message this morning. Uh, I know he's going to uh, share that with you again, and you will be blessed. Uh, please uh, welk- uh, join me in welcoming Akiva Cohen. Well, good morning, saints. Thank you, Pastor Chris. It's a delight to be with you guys. Besides Israel, Texas is my favorite place to be. That was really awesome. Uh, Pastor Thornton and the worship team, wow, made me feel like I want to get some Texas boots before I go back to Israel. So uh, I really do love uh, your hearts for God here and your liberty and worship. Aren't you glad that uh, the chains have fallen off your hands because of the blood of Jesus? Amen. Well, um, my better half, my wife Susan, sends uh, her greetings to you. She's holding the fort down back in Israel, my, our special needs son. And um, I want to thank all of you for your partnership over the years. Uh, I've been really blessed to get to know uh, Pastor Daryl and Connie, who I, I waved to as our plane flew towards Dallas, and they're going the other way. I don't know if you saw me. And really been blessed to get to know Pastor Chris and Candy and their family. I can see God sent you a, a blessed uh, pastor alongside Pastor Daryl. And um, uh, our ministries are basically raising up next generation Israeli leaders to touch Israel um, with the power of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. And, you know, young men and women who come out of the army going into university. And so uh, we do uh, conferences for them and train them and how to defend their faith and how to uh, position themselves so God can place them in the culture to to impact culture. And uh, we have a second ministry, which is to the special needs uh, believing community in Israel uh, that's born out of our, our own special needs son who has Down syndrome. And um, your partnership is touching lives through our hands. Uh, so we really see you as partners in, in ministry with us. If you already uh, pray for us, I'm so grateful. We all know prayer is the engine that drives the work of God. Amen. We, we need your prayers. So I have these little cards at the back table. And Pastor Chris gave me his blessing. If you want to just fill those out with your email. Uh, we'll make sure and update you every few months on how you can pray for Israel and pray for our ministries. Well, um, I'm going to share on Jerusalem with you, uh, to, uh, to you this morning. Uh, Jerusalem, that's always in the news, that's always uh, front and center in uh, the agenda of the UN. I think uh, the UN was probably raised up just to bash Israel. That's pretty much what they do most of the time. But uh, let's just say that since your president, President Trump, uh, as of December 6th of this past year, declared very bravely that he's, the uh, government of uh, your government, the U.S. government, will be moving your embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Amen? And that's going to happen in May. Amen. And that, that has a lot of symbolic um, importance to it. So we're going to look into the Word of God today and see why that's the case. Okay? Now, um, when President Trump announced that, December 6th, it wasn't but two weeks after that that the U.N. You know, representatives started going into convulsions. You'd think that President Trump had declared he's you know, nuking North Korea. I mean, that was the type of reactions we expected that they would, they would you know, give. So on December 21st, and we have a, a letter here I'm just going to show you, they called, the U.N. called an emergency special session. You'd think the world was falling apart. But this was only been 10 of these in the U.N.'s history to basically get the nations to vote against the decision to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which basically is a declaration of, you know, superpower 
giving legitimacy to acknowledging Jerusalem is the historic and biblical and actual capital of uh, the Jewish people and of Israel. So I'm going to take you actually to the session where they made a vote on this, and basically all the green buttons uh, are the yeses do not acknowledge Jerusalem as Israel's capital. So let's, let's listen in. A recorded vote has been requested. We shall now begin the voting process. Those in favor of draft resolution A slash ES-10 slash L22, please signify. Those against, abstentions. The General Assembly is now voting on draft resolution A slash ES-10 slash L22 entitled Status of Jerusalem. Will all delegations confirm that their votes are accurately reflected on the screen? God bless America. They voted against it in the red there. And Israel, of course, voted against it. And just about six, like, island countries in the Pacific, you know, the entire world. The voting has been completed. Against. Please lock the machine. So, yeah, all those greens are 128, basically all the nations pretty much, except for, like I said, America, Israel, and a few a little island nations in the Pacific said, no, we do affirm that Jerusalem is Israel's historic capital. So, again, we, we're, we're more concerned what it, to know what does God say about Jerusalem in his word, amen? And so here's a picture of Jerusalem uh, from the time of Jesus. He would have gone up the steps there to worship, which, which uh, possibly Pastor uh, Daryl and Connie have gone up. You can still walk on those stairs today that, that lead, would have led into the temple. Um, but... I want to, before I get going, just establish why does God care about Jerusalem? Okay? He doesn't really care about the stones and, and about the dirt in Jerusalem. He cares about Jerusalem because he has placed his name on that city. Amen? So we see that. There's many verses. I just picked one out from 1 Kings 11. It's a promise to David and his sons that they'll always have a lamp, a tribe in Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah. But the point here is that God says, this will happen in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. So, you know, what does that mean? There's a big neon sign of God's name in Jerusalem. Actually, his name is on all the, the doorposts, right? And we, little scrolls with his name on them. But no, it means that he's put his reputation on that city. His name, his reputation's at stake, amen? So what happens to that city reflects upon his reputation. And God is concerned about his glory, amen? And about the glory of his son, Jesus, who is the king of Jerusalem, amen? So that's why Jerusalem's important, and we're going to see other aspects of that as well today. As you look at this picture uh, next of the Temple Mount um, coming up here, this is how the Temple Mount looks today. Uh, next one here. Thank you, uh, Gordon. So, you know, if God, when God speaks to us, he comes down, amen, and speaks in ways we can understand him, right? So when God says, I remember something, it's not that, you know, just prior to that he had a midlife moment that some of us can relate to. Right? What was I talking about? So, um, no, it's because something's important to him. He's committed to something. He's passionate about something. And he uses that language saying, I remember something. What we're going to see today, he remembers Jerusalem. And if he would have raised a prophet up and give, gave him the name, God remembers, we would do well to listen to what he had to say. Amen? Well, he did do that. And the prophet's name uh, is Zechariah, or Zechariah in Hebrew. Zechar means remember. And Yah, God remembers. So God remembers something, and as I said, we're going to see he remembers Jerusalem because of his glory and the glory of Jesus he's going to reveal to the world. 
So as you look at the next slide, uh, we can go to the next one there. This is Jerusalem again, beautiful picture. It's called the Damascus Gate. And uh, you see the Temple Mount in the background. Let me, while we look at this picture, let me just kind of refresh your memories as we jump into the book of Zechariah together, okay? So uh, here we are in the book of Zechariah. We are uh, in the 6th century B.C. God sent the Babylonians to Jerusalem to take the Jewish people out of Israel because of our sins, okay? And we were in Babylon, modern-day Iraq, for 70 years, as Jeremiah had prophesied we would be. He also prophesied in God's mercy we'd be coming back after 70 years. Okay, so that's what happened. So in 538 B.C., 538 years before the coming of Jesus, the Jewish people came back from Babylon. And uh, bear with me, I know it's early, but we need to understand one more element of that. While the Jewish people were in Babylon for 70 years, God raised up another empire to overcome them called the Persians. So when the time of the, they came for them to return, it was the Persian king who sent them back, a pagan king named Cyrus. But God gave revelation to this pagan king. In Isaiah 44, he calls him my shepherd. Isaiah 45, he calls him my Messiah, my anointed one. And the end of the Hebrew Bible, the second Chronicles is how our order of books ends, is the words of Cyrus. He says, God told me, go back, go back to Jerusalem and build the house of God. I'll give you all the gold and silver vessels the Babylonians took. I'll give them back to you. I'll even fund it. I'll give you finances. Just go, if you're Jewish, go back to Jerusalem and build the temple for your God. So that all happened, and they came back, as I said, in 538 B.C. Now, as the curtain comes up on the book of Zechariah, we're going to see we're in 520 B.C. In other words, about 20 years have gone by, and the temple's still not built. So we're going to look and see what God did to get the temple built. So the first thing he needed to do, because he's committed to Jerusalem, was give his people repentance. Okay? Because like I said, they've been sitting there 20 years, putting more focus on you know, renovating their homes and building God's house. So God had to uh, light a fire uh, under his people to get him going. We're going to learn about that this morning. But the word of the Lord comes to, to Zechariah. In Zechariah 1.1, 1, 1, we can go to verse 2. And the Lord says to him, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. And that's basically the parents of the generation he's speaking to. Therefore, God took them to Babylon. So he's basically saying, don't let that happen to you. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me and I'll return to you. Amen. Very simple message. Of course, no one can do that without the spirit of God. But that's an invitation God was giving his people to come back to him and get on with his work. And they didn't pass the buck. They took responsibility for their sins. So in verse 6, they, they repent, we read. And they say, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve. We got what we deserve. Okay, our parents got what they deserved. Just as he determined to do, just as he said he was going to do in his word. So that's good. They repent and God's able to now work with them. And what happens next needs a little explanation. Okay, Zechariah is a book full of visions. So you need to know that in one night, in one evening, as Zechariah was sitting before the Lord, God downloaded to him eight visions in one night. Okay, these amazing night visions, eight of them, chapters one to eight. And basically, uh, what God showed him was what was happening in his day with the temple, but also he showed him the whole plan of God, all the way to the second coming of Christ, revealed in one night. So we're just going to dip into these visions. Here we are in the first one, and we've got angels and Zechariah and three-way conversation going here with God. And the angel says, Lord Almighty, this is Zechariah 1.12, 
Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? In verse 14, then the angel who was speaking to me, Zechariah says, said, this is the word God gave him. Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Amen? And then we read in verse 15, God explains, I'm very angry with the nations that feel secure. Okay, so that kind of puts a new light on that UN vote we just watched, okay? God says, I was only a little angry, meaning with Israel. And if you read in the, in the scripture what the Babylonians did to the pregnant woman and the infants and the elderly, it was just brutal. It was way beyond what God had planned. God says, they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. Okay, so God has declared that even though the people have now been sitting on their hands for 20 years, my house is going to get built. Okay, he has kingdom purposes for that to happen. And then we go to the next vision, which is Zechariah chapter 2. And Zechariah looks and he sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. And he asks, where are you going? And he says to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. So kind of like a structural engineer, he's out there, you know, taking measurements on the wall, figures, well, God said he's going to build his house. So we need walls to protect the building while it's going on. So he's taking measurements. And one angel leaves, another comes, and the angel says to him, run and tell that young man, the one with the, the measuring line, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. So basically he sees this end-time vision of Jerusalem, and it doesn't need any walls, okay? Now, it's not that God didn't want Jerusalem to have a wall, okay? Because about 70 years after this, he sent a man named Nehemiah to go build that wall. But for this generation, that wasn't God's plan, which shows how important it is to get before God, to know what he's calling us individually and as a church community to do in our generation. Because God says in verse 5, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, around Jerusalem. Amen? Powerful word. He says, I will be the glory within it, within Jerusalem. And the whole principle here, God is speaking to his people, is uh, summarizing this, this wonderful verse of Zechariah 4, 6, where God says, my work goes forward, not by might or by power, but by my spirit. Okay, so we could translate that as not by brains or brawn, not by our wisdom or our strength. God's spirit does it in us and through us, and we need to listen to him, and he needs to lead us. And God was saying, don't worry about the wall now. Build my house. That was the commission for this generation. And then we find out that because God is jealous for Jerusalem and is seeking to restore his presence there, the enemy rises up, as we would expect, to try to hinder God's purposes on the earth, to try to stop the house from being built. And we read about this in the book of Ezra. So it's on the PowerPoint, but if you're in your Bible, we're going to dip into Ezra and then go back to Zechariah. Ezra gives us the background of what happened when the Jewish people first came back, okay? Those exiles first came back, as I said, about 20 years before Zechariah's visions. And here's what happened when they first came back. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building the temple for the Lord, okay, as soon as they got back, they got to work. They started trying to build it. The God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families. Okay, now I should have mentioned, when the exiles came back, the uh, leader was Zerubbabel, who became the governor. They weren't kings anymore and Joshua the high priest, and they had two very important men with them, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, okay? So they say to Zerubbabel, um, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God, notice not our God, 
and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Saradon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. What was that all about? Well, uh, about a century and a half before the Babylonians took Israel out of the land, in the 8th century B.C., the Assyrians took Israel out of the land, the ten northern tribes. And they never came back, right? That's why they're called the lost tribes of Israel, right? So instead of sending them back, uh, the Assyrians just put pagans in there, just transplanted pagans in there who didn't really know God, but they just kind of added, you know, Yahweh, one more God to their, you know, uh, gods that they worshipped. So this would be kind of like Pastor Chris, you know, calling a, a citywide prayer meeting to host it here, a new covenant. And as everyone's getting ready to pray, so, some Mormons walking through the door, some Jehovah's Witnesses walking through the door, and that wouldn't really work, right? Because unless you honor the Son properly, you're not honoring the Father, who we, of course, want to honor in prayer. So that's what happens here. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 3, Zerubbabel um, and Joshua, the two leaders of the returned exiles, say to these enemies of Israel, who wanted to build the temple, as you read, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us, as I mentioned. So then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. And the enemy hasn't changed his ways, has he? He still uses the same tactics to try to hinder us and the people of God from doing God's will. Discouragement. Has anybody ever been discouraged in God? We've all experienced that. Amen. He uses discouragement and fear. Okay? We sang about how the blood of Jesus set us free from fear. Amen? But that's what he tries to put back on us. Discouragement and fear. And so what happened is, you can read this at home, but in the next slide, Ezra 4, 23 and 24, I'm just summarizing here for the time, is these enemies of, of the people of God, they started slandering the people of God to the next Persian king, saying, oh, these are rebellious people. Okay, they are going to not pay you tribute if you let them build that temple. And he believed them. So he sent basically his military in. We're reading verse 23, uh, Ezra 4, 23. They went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and forced them to stop the building. Okay, so as soon as they came back, they started building. After about one year, they had to stop. Okay, they ran into uh, spiritual warfare, you know, political, legal entanglement, and they had to stop. So we read in verse 24 that the work of the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius. Well, the second year of the reign of Darius is how Zechariah opens up. In other words, 20 years later, it hadn't been built, and that's when Zechariah is prophesying, okay? So we read in Ezra that when the enemy sends discouragement because God is jealous for Jerusalem, he sends encouragement to Jerusalem, amen, to the people of God. And Ezra 5 tells us about that. Now, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So are you getting the picture here? It's 20 years after they've been back in the land. God's got to do something here. So he gives his people repentance. And then he lights a fire under them through the prophesying of Haggai and of Zechariah. So the people get stirred up in God, encouraged in God, and they begin the work again. Zerubbabel and Joshua set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And after about four years, it was built. Okay? The temple was rebuilt. But there was still another problem we need to take a look at here. And that is the sin problem. Okay? Because God is jealous for Jerusalem, he's committed to provide forgiveness and cleansing for Jerusalem. And we see this in Zechariah, going back to, excuse me, back to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. So here's another vision 
that God shows Zechariah. And basically, it's like a court scene. We've got Joshua, the high priest, who was born in Babylon. He came back. Joshua, the high priest, and he's the defendant, if you will, okay, or the accused. We've got an angel of the Lord who's like the defending attorney. And we've got Satan, whose name in Hebrew means accuser or uh, slanderer. He's like the uh, prosecuting attorney. And God, of course, would be the judge. So then Zechariah 3.1 says, He showed me, God showed me, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Amen. Now, I love the way God describes himself there. He doesn't just say, the Lord rebuke you, you know, through his angels. He says, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. In other words, Satan, there's nothing you can do to hinder the temple being built because God has chosen Jerusalem himself. And uh, we still have a problem, though. God is going to build his house, but we read about the problem in verse 3 and 4. Okay, Joshua, in other words, um, Satan had a big card on God here, you might want to say, okay? It's really true. Joshua had a problem. He's the high priest, okay? The one that goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement once a year with, the, you know, the ephod, the 12 tribes on his chest representing the people of God, atones for his sins first and then goes in to atone for the people. But if his sins aren't atoned for, he can't atone for the people. It doesn't matter that the temple is going to be rebuilt. They're not going to be able to use it to get forgiveness from sins. So God's taking care of business here. So he shows Zechariah. Here's Joshua, the high priest. He's in filthy clothes. Now, um, you know, I, I hesitated to mention this or not, but I felt, well, I just will. The word in Hebrew here for filthy clothes, I'll try to be delicate, is actually fecal matter. Okay, that's the word in Hebrew. In other words, it's a very graphic picture of how God, holy God, sees us when we're in our sins. We don't stand a chance to come into his holy presence in our sins. Amen. And Joshua didn't stand a chance. But God has provided the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Let's take care of that. So the angel's able to say, okay, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. That's what those filthy clothes represented, the sin. I have taken away your sin, he says, and put fine garments on you, the, the beautiful Righteousness of Christ is placed upon the high priest. Now he can minister. Amen. So because God is jealous for Jerusalem, he's provided forgiveness. And how can he do that? Can he just declare, take off those dirty clothes? No, there's a price, as we sang this morning, that has to be paid for God to be able to say that. And we read about that in Zechariah 3, 8. Listen, high priest, the word of the Lord says, listen, high priest, Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, okay? There, what we just read, that vision, it's a symbol. It was real for that time, but it's also a symbol of the future, of things to come. I'm going to send my servant, well, that's Jesus, my servant, the branch. Do a word study on the branch. The branch is Jesus, the branch of God, okay? So God says, I can change your filthy clothes because Jesus is, has paid the price for that. And God furthermore says in verse 9, and I'm not only going to take care of the sin problem of the high priest, who represents the people, but I'll remove the sin of the land in a single day. Well, that means the sin of the people of the land. Now, God, that's an amazing promise. Amen. God says in a single day, one day, I will take care of Israel's sin problem. Well, when did God take care of, of, of Israel's sin problem in one day? At the cross. Amen. And not just Israel's Sin problem, Texas sin problem, the sins of the whole world, amen? In one day on, at Golgotha, 
God took care of, of our sins. I mentioned in the earlier service, you know, I called my wife as I do on, on my trips, and she was crying on the video call. I said, what's wrong, honey? And she said, um, well, me and a sister friend of hers that was over, we're watching The Passion. And, you know, it's, it's so important to me to uh, remember the meaning of the cross as we did this morning, not just, you know, let the word fall from my mouth casually. And that movie is the movie that really brings home that message, doesn't it? But God has paid a price. It's through the branch. It's through Jesus that he can do this. Now, Jews like myself have been coming back to Christ in great numbers. Thanks to the mercy of God. Amen. He said, amen. Glory to God. He said he would graft us back into our tree. And there's more Jewish believers on the earth today than any time in history. More than the book of Acts. We read about tens of thousands of priests that were believers in Jesus. But yet there's coming a time for national repentance for Israel. Amen. And we who labor in Jewish evangelism, we, we, we are encouraged by Romans 11, 9 to 11, encouraged by verses like the ones we're going to look at now. Because God says it's not just going to be a trickle of believers who are going to come in. A flood of Jewish believers are going to come in. And so he says here this amazing pro- promise in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. So they can appeal to God. And God says, amazingly, They, people of Israel, will look on me, whom they have pierced. God talking. They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. That's Jesus. Okay? Look on me, but they'll mourn for him, Jesus, as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. You know, when I living in Israel, there's sadly funerals all the time for young men who who die in military. situations, and it's really heart-wrenching to you know, see it on the news and see the family weeping. But where God really brought this home to me is, you know, because that's a picture of what God says here, is when our, our beloved prime minister, it's years ago now, um, Yitzhak Rabin, was um, assassinated. Our whole nation went into a, a national repentance, a national mourning, at least we could say, rather. And uh, just like when, when uh, JFK was assassinated and, and your entire nation went into, into mourning, it was just a, days and days of weeping on our streets and, and services, national mourning and grieving for him. Interestingly, the name, too, was, was Isaac, right? Isaac Rabin, like Abraham's son. So for me, God had whispered to me during that time that this is a picture, not just when we see young men dying in battle, but Israel grieving, but when the whole nation was grieving, this is a picture of something that's going to yet happen. When Jesus comes back and we see those nail-pierced hands, we are going to mourn for him as for an only son. Amen. And the way that's going to happen, God says, is in Zechariah 13:1. On that day, that's end time language, amen, on that day. On that day, a fountain, and not just a trickle, like when Moses sprinkling the people with blood, a fountain, that's the fountain of Jesus' blood, amen. A fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and from impurity. And like some of the hymns, the beautiful hymns we sang this morning, I love this hymn as well. It seems to be reflected this verse. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, amen? And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, amen? And so if you're here today and you're still wearing filthy garments that have guilty stains on them, you need to come and see Pastor Chris or one of the leaders in the prayer team after the service because God's already taken care of your guilty stains, Amen. Well, now we have a, a picture I want you to take a look at for a minute as we wind down. And this is, of course, the Israeli flag. 
um, in the modern state of Israel, where I live, as you know. And, you know, think about what God has done. Uh, back in Zechariah's time, he brought back about 50,000 Jews from Babylon, from modern-day Iraq. But in 1948, in the 50s, he brought back about three times that many Iraqi Jews, pretty much all the Iraqi Jews back to Israel. He brought the Iranian Jews back to Israel, the Yemenite Jews back to Israel, the Ethiopian Jews back to Israel. Uh, when I served at the short military service, because I uh, came to the military later, but when I did, my whole unit was filled with uh, Jewish, young Jewish men from all over the world. I thought, wow, God has brought them back from all over the world. We had, of course, in the, in the 90s, the Russian Jews come back uh, over a million. The, the Soviet policy for years and years was that not one's leaving, kind of like Pharaoh, right? And God said, no, they're all leaving pretty much, so we'll start with a million. Okay, so we, we were, our whole country, the population of our whole country was only 4 million Jews back in 1990. One million people came in, one million Jews from Russia. So we're back in the land, we're in Israel, that's the Israeli flag. But we have a slight problem still, right? Because God says he's going to restore his house and his presence in Jerusalem. And that is the house there, but that's not the temple of God. That's the Dome of the Rock, right? It's a Muslim shrine on the Temple Mount. And actually, the Dome of the Rock, the rock, if you can look at pictures of it on the Internet, it's uh, the rock they believe Muhammad went up to heaven in, but Jewish people believe it's the foundation stone of the temple. Okay, so God's got to take care of some business there. However he does that, we'll, we'll leave it in his capable hands. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But he does say that because he's jealous for Jerusalem, he's going to use Jerusalem to judge the nations. So let's take a look at Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3. God says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Now, if you look on the map, you all know this. Like, who are the surrounding peoples around Israel? They're the Arab peoples, right? So we're about a nation of 6 million Jewish people, and we have about 200 million Arabs around us, okay, that are Muslim and that are pretty much most of them committed to the destruction of Israel. If you go even wider, you know, Morocco, North Africa, Morocco, we have about 300 million Muslims around a country of 6 million. Okay, so it's kind of interesting how God set this thing up. He says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. There's end time language again. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. So again, it doesn't really matter how the UN votes, does it? Because God says, my hand is on that city. No one's moving it. Okay? And God says, all who try to move it will injure themselves. I like the King James there, which says, we'll cut themselves to pieces. Okay? It's not a smart thing or a healthy thing to try to move Jerusalem from being Israel's capital. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And then God says in Zechariah 14, too, that he's the one doing this. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. And then he says, the Lord, he will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. So, you know, as we read in the book of Exodus or against the Ammonites, Moabites, how God fought for Israel, he says, just like that, I'm going to fight for Israel and take care uh, of, of defending them against the nations that come against them. And then finally, God says, because he's jealous for Jerusalem, he's going to transform the nations from warriors to worshipers. Amen. So please understand my heart. I hope I'm representing God's heart to you today. I am not against Arab people, amen? Neither is God. Jesus died for the Arab peoples of the, and Muslims of the world, amen? He died for all people. We know that. So some of my closest friends in Israel are Arab Christians. 
They're a minority just like we are in Israel as Jewish believers. Okay? We're a minority amongst a Jewish nation. They're a minority amongst a Muslim nation. Okay? So uh, God's heart is for the Arab people. My heart was stirred even during the Arab Spring. You saw these young people said, we don't want to live under tyrants anymore. We want to have hope for our families. And basically, they want Jesus. They just don't know it. Amen? They want the freedom that comes from knowing the Lord and having leaders um, who can lead with righteousness. But so here's what God says is going to happen in Zechariah 14, 16. He says the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem, okay, these are the warriors or jihadists and all, who knows whatever's going to happen with you know, Russia, China, and Europeans, but the, the nations around Israel, you could say the jihadists, these warriors that have attacked Jerusalem are going to go up every year to worship. They're going to go from warriors to worshipers of Jesus, amen? The ones that survive. They're going to worship the king. They're going to worship Jesus, the Lord Almighty, and celebrate the festival of tabernacles. Amen? And we already have pilgrims from all over the world who come September, October, when we have the Feast of Tabernacles, according to our Hebrew calendar. Uh, thousands of them gather. They march in the streets of Jerusalem with banners. And then they have big worship services in Jerusalem. So it's kind of already foreshadowing what's going to happen yet in that day. Well, I want to uh, send you home with some uh, practical application of this message here. I guess the first big point is simply be encouraged in God that prophecy, as his word states, is playing out right in front of our eyes. I mean, the embassy is supposed to move in May. And you know, so things are turbulent right now in the nations. But God is working out his kingdom purposes. Amen. According to his word. So be encouraged that his word is true, not only about Jerusalem, but is true to you. Amen. And to me, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen to us. Amen. So we need to hold on to the word of God. So the first thing we need to do, like Zechariah's day, is we need to repent on a daily basis, right? So keep short accounts with God. And maybe you haven't been sitting on your hands for 18 years like they were to not do what God said. But if there's something God needs to renew in your heart today, come up for prayer at the end of the service and recommit to what God's spoken to you to do. Maybe the enemy has discouraged you or put fear in your heart like he did back in Zechariah's day. And then secondly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Just like he said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Amen. You know, and of course, I don't believe in, say, just the second experience, uh, Holy Spirit baptism. I believe in the third and a, a daily one, right? We leak, right? So we need the Holy Spirit every day to fill us. Okay, and third, we need to go and we're not building the temple. We are the temple. You are the temple, amen? The temple of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm calling it here, where's motorhome, right? We got, we're the house on wheels. We got to just go and when God parks us, just shine, right? Just let the Shekinah glory come out of the temple and just shine wherever he places you. Finally, expect opposition. You know, if you're going through stuff today, you've come to church discouraged, be encouraged in God. You know, stay in his word. That's how he encourages us, amen? He speaks through his word, amen? through brothers and sisters around us, through Pastor Daryl, Pastor Chris, prophesying encouragement over us in the house of God, our pastors, amen? Okay, we, we uh, depend on the same thing in Israel, okay, for our, our uh, pastors to keep us encouraged in God as we also take responsibility to be in the Word and in prayer. And finally, God says, like he was with this generation, he'll be a wall of fire around you and your families, amen? He'll be the glory within you as you build his house, as you do whatever he's called you to do, Amen? So I pray you'd be blessed as God uh, sends you on your way today. I know Pastor Chris has told me um, he's going to come up in a minute, but I think I'm going to close in prayer and invite you up. Oh, okay. Okay, right. So we're going to have a worship song and then come up. And again, if, you're, if you don't know about the, those beautiful garments of forgiveness, come up and pray. Or if you're believing God for a promise in God, Pastor Chris is going to lead us. But should, I, should I close?
In prayer. Okay, and then Pastor Chris is coming up. Okay. Hallelujah, Father. So as the worship team comes, and Pastor Chris, we just want to thank you for your word today. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that we remembered in worship today, and also in your word, even in the Old Testament, God, in Zechariah, that fountain of the blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. Thank you that you've let the chains fall off our hands, and in, in the midst of discouragement and fear the enemy would try to put on us, thank you, Lord, that you encourage us through your word. And we just uh, welcome you to encourage us, God, to do what you've called us to do individually, as families and as a church community. Empower us not by might or power, but by your spirit to do the thing you've called us to do for your glory. As we go forth from this place, we give you all the glory in Yeshua, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampastors.com.